As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business owner, how do you tackle the balance in being able to run a sustainable business and being profitable at the same time? Just like all our episodes for season one, that's what we're going to be talking about in this 14th episode. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listened to our last episode, I interviewed Terry Brooks, the managing director of Golden Sable Fish, and he discussed how the aquaculture industry's future trends is changing the way businesses are moving into new methods of farming. For this episode, welcome Ms. Jennifer Woodland. She is the CEO of NCNC Food LP and chairman of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I've been listening to all your episodes and it's my favorite topic, so I'm, I'm very grateful to be included. Thank you. So grateful for your time. Jennifer has 20 years of aquaculture experience and 15 years in management roles with demonstrated achievements in improving environmental performance, regulatory compliance, and obtaining third-party environmental certifications for aquaculture companies. So thank you again for being with us today, Jennifer. Let's get this started. (laughs) So how did you get into this industry? (laughs) I think you're going to be more than 20 minutes. I grew up around fish. So I'm originally from Newfoundland. My dad was part owner in a processing plant. And he also taught at Memorial University seafood processing technologies. So as a child, I was either at the processing plant or you would find me at the beach going through tidal pools looking for marine creatures. But being around the plant, it really imprinted on me. I observed really how valuable seafood was, seeing how others viewed our resources and what we had to offer. The products that we were selling at our plant, my dad sold them to Japan and Japanese buyers would come and live with us for months at a time while they inspected the product and just how they spoke about the product, how they viewed the product and how valuable it was really just stuck in my mind, just how valuable the resources we have here in Canada. But, you know, I'm an environmentally minded person and I kept thinking, how can we keep taking, right, from these resources and are we taking too many? And I always had these questions. So for me, I always knew I wanted to do something around the ocean. I have a passion for marine biology. And then in my first year university, the cod crisis happened. And that was a pivotal moment, really, for me. Cod is important to Newfoundland. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of our identity. It used to be our currency. 
And I remember really clearly standing in front of the TV and watching John Crosby, the then fisheries minister, make an announcement that the cod fishery, something that was just a part of Newfoundland culture, was over. And it really hasn't returned that fishery in a meaningful way. And the fishermen were like beating down the door and people were crying. And it just, you know, you have those moments and you're like the before and after. And I think we'll do that with COVID. Was that before COVID or after COVID? And for me at that moment, it was really before the COD moratorium and after the COD moratorium. It was such an impactful experience. And then during my undergraduate degree, Memorial started to offer a graduate program in sustainable aquaculture. And I thought, growing seafood, farming food farming fish. Of course, we can do that. We farm pigs, we farm cows, we farm chickens. Why not fish? So for me, it was a no brainer. I finished my biology degree. I did the graduate program in aquaculture, graduated in 1998. And I've been in the sector ever since. And aquaculture is just one of those wonderful things that that's why I got into it. But I'm still in it today because it offers so much to me as I've evolved as a person. I know when I look at When I first got into the industry, it was all about environment and just saving wild fish by farming fish for people to eat. And I would often say, we can't sacrifice the environment for jobs. We just can't, you know, and I still firmly believe that. But there's something that needs to be recognized about the economic opportunity and the social opportunity that this industry presents. And I had the opportunity in 2008 to return to Newfoundland and help the salmon farming sector develop for the rural south coast of Newfoundland. So there's 22 small communities called the Coast of Bays. And my husband and I went back to help the industry grow there. And when we got there, I mean, there was just so much evidence of the cod moratorium still. There were empty fish plants. There was no new development, no new housing. Most of the men were away working in Alberta. And as we started to grow the industry, those people started moving back. We started seeing new developments. We started seeing new houses going up, new businesses. Businesses were expanding. I I would go out of my front door and there would be strangers saying, I brought you some scallops and a moose roast. Thank you for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. And, And it was incredible. And I remember I was getting my hair cut one time and the lady who owned the salon said, you know, for years she was barely hanging on. People just got their hair cut because it was a necessity. And now, as a result of the aquaculture industry growing in this region, people are getting their haircuts for fun, they're getting color, they're getting extensions, and she was about to buy a tanning bed. And it was just as a mother at that point in time, really kind of seeing the economic influence and the social influence that this industry had really opened my mind to the broader benefit of the industry. And so I really wanted to come back to British Columbia and and relive that experience for First Nations. I've spent a lot of my career working with First Nations communities. I want to be a participant in reconciliation. And I wanted to come back and kind of relive that with First Nations communities and work with First Nations to establish economic development and aquaculture. So That is quite amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. I love what you mentioned about fish being currency. I came from a third world country before I immigrated in the Philippines. So I can totally feel how, you know, resources in a community, in the village plays such an important role in the culture of a location. So that was quite something to get started 20 years ago. And here you're still the trailblazer in this industry because it's still a new industry. And so it's always good to talk to people who started early and then how that evolved to where it's going now, which leads me to my second question. In that span of time, what are the pros and cons that you're seeing in the industry? 
there's so many pros. I mean, aquaculture is recognized globally as a growth industry. It's the fastest growing food sector, right? It's the demand for seafood is growing. Our population is growing. And as our population is growing, so is the demand for food. We know that volumes of wild-caught seafood are not going to meet that demand. We really need to extract more value from our fisheries. But in terms of volume, we are going to get that volume from aquaculture. There's so much opportunity in kelp aquaculture. We're seeing so much more plant-based diet or the nutritional punch that kelp holds as an additive to so many foods. Also as a plastic alternative, as an agriculture feed, there's real opportunity for substantial growth even within that sector. And it's a good investment. Canada is signatory to a high-level panel on sustainable oceans economy. This is an international, multinational initiative that's looking at the role of oceans and the role that oceans are going to play in sustainable development. And I encourage people, it's a really interesting read, and it's called A Sustainable Oceans Economy by 2050, Approximating Its Benefits and Cost. So that panel created this report, and it estimates that investment in ocean economic activity is going to have an economic net positive benefit ratio of five to one and increasing sustainability of ocean source proteins by 10 to one. So, I mean, it has massive potential for Canada when you look at our coastline. It is a smart investment. And it's a smart investment at a time when we need it, economic recovery post-COVID, and in areas we need it, in rural and coastal communities. And I mean, really, COVID has, has changed our world. And there's such an emphasis on food security, food safety, healthy food, carbon reduction, and the need for economic development. And at every turn, aquaculture is ticking all those boxes. So the Canadian farm sector is really the answer. And in so many aspects of my life, it ends up being the solution. It's such a solution-oriented industry. And really the opportunity that it presents for First Nations and coastal communities, for business development, and particularly with First Nations leading the growth of the industry. I work for a First Nations company, and much of my career has been working with First Nations. And sustainability is not what they do, it's who they are. It's ingrained in their culture, it's ingrained in their being. Every decision that I want to make as a company, you know, and I bet it through our shareholding nations, it's based on our core values. It's based on sustainability. And what impact will this have seven generations from now? And over the past five years of working for New Chalma Seafood, that's one of the most remarkable things that I will take with me forever is not just looking ahead. You know, in business, you plan for five and 10 years. They look ahead 100 years. And it's just remarkable to ensure that you're having a positive impact 100 years from now and not a negative impact. So as rights holders, First Nations should be leading the way in aquaculture development. And we're seeing more Indigenous-led aquaculture development and Indigenous partnerships uh, within the industry. But Canada has decided as well, and there's a lot of talk about this blue economy. And there's tremendous opportunity within the blue economy. The blue economy is a balance of conservation with economic development. It's the state, what they've written in, uh, when you look it up from what they presented and they're doing engagements on that right now. It's about the sustainable use of ocean resources for economic growth, improved livelihoods and jobs and ocean ecosystem health. I mean, to me, that's also the definition of aquaculture, right? And it's also the definition of how First Nations manage their aquatic resources. And I mean, this is how First Nations have always managed. I spoke to my mentor and president of our um, company, Larry Johnson, and we were talking about the blue economy, the blue economy strategy. He said, blue economy, 
blue economy. That's how First Nations have always lived. And it's remarkable that Canada now wants to take this on and how moving forward, there can be incredible growth in the seafood sector through this blue economy and how aquaculture is going to be a major contributor to that. So I'm excited about that. And I encourage your listeners actually to visit seafoodopportunity.ca and see the videos that the Fisheries Council of Canada and the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance collaborated to produce. So this is the commercial and the farm sector coming together to provide a strategy about what the blue economy can look like. Pros, careers. I mean, there's a pick for everybody in aquaculture. I have yet to come up with a career that's like, uh, do you want to be an electrician? There's a home for you in aquaculture. You want to be a vet, a biologist, a nutritionist. You want to feed fish. You want like whatever it is, construction. There's a home for you in aquaculture at every level, at every education level. And, you know, you can start from the ground up. It's, it's such an exciting opportunity for coastal communities and rural communities and First Nations communities in Canada, that there's a career for everybody in aquaculture. That's fantastic. I love the way when you mentioned about sustainability being should be who we are, not something that we do. And it's very close to my heart because I was just talking about there's this course and curriculum that I'm developing on the three pillars of sustainability. And it's not just ESG, as you know, but it's like the leadership is like who we are. If some people in the sustainability sector has that integrity to be able to actually do what's right, even though no one's watching, then there'll be no greenwashing. So it's fascinating that you mentioned that. And, and you also mentioned about investment part, because I just found out today that Aquaspark in the kelp bought an Indian company for $9 million for seaweed and in partnership with a Singaporean company. So all these strides that are happening now are amazing in terms of the development. But can you repeat the name of the report that you mentioned about for sustainable economics in 2050? What is it called? Yeah, so Ken is a signatory to this high-level panel on sustainable oceans economy, and the report is called A Sustainable Oceans Economy by 2050, Approximating Its Benefits and Costs. Perfect. So it's Sustainable Oceans Economy 2050. So I'll probably post a link or something so our audience can access that. But tell us the challenges. I know there's lots of opportunities, but of course there are challenges. Just just such is life. (laughs) Yes, such is life. You know, the biggest challenge I see that's been a challenge for aquaculture development for many, many years is the uncertain regulatory framework and the just lack of a growth plan. So there's uncertain regulatory framework, and this is not species specific. This is for finfish, shellfish, kelp. There is no Aquaculture Act. We are a misfit in the Fisheries Act. The Canadian Shellfish Sanitation Program needs modernization. It needs enhanced capacity to encourage new entrants and make it more feasible. And we need capacity development regulatory for kelp to help with the growth We're seeing enormous growth and (laughs) we have a government that doesn't have enough resources to process the applications in a timely manner. You know, we don't have a federal champion for seafood. And if anybody's heard me speak at any other engagement, I talk a lot about this. Canada's seafood sector has stagnated, particularly in aquaculture. We are not taking advantage of the growth potential. Canada used to be the leader in seafood exports and the seafood leader. We're now eighth. And with our coastline, to me, that is so disappointing. Aquaculture globally is poised for growth and is growing. We have the largest coastline in the world. We need a national plan to promote the aquaculture sector and increase the value of what we have in fisheries. 
Having a plan gives confidence to investors. Investment leads to innovation. Innovation leads to growth. The demand for seafoods continuing to rise. Other jurisdictions are taking advantage. So if you look at Norway, New Zealand, UK, they have multi-year government plans to increase jobs and grow the sector. We don't have that. If Canada doesn't create a plan, we're going to continue to stagnate. But that doesn't take away the fact that the fish are going to be grown. It just won't be grown by us. And other jurisdictions are going to take that opportunity and that market share away. So for an example, if you look at agriculture, we have the CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, and they regulate the agriculture industry. But then we have Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada that promotes the industry and has supports for innovation and health competitiveness. We don't have that in seafood. We have DFO, who is identified as the regulator and the promoter, which is inappropriate to regulate and promote an industry. And, and we don't have the same support system that other sectors have. And that's where there's enormous opportunity, but it's our biggest challenge. We just don't have that federal support. We need a federal champion, especially if Canada is serious about taking advantage of a blue economy. Thank you. It's such, I think, a big cry about this, having uh, regulation that's specifically for aquaculture, especially in Canada, because as you mentioned, even the word DFO is Department of Fisheries and Oceans. We need something that's aquaculture specific, and you just brought the importance of having that. So thanks for those. So my favorite question of all my questions is, what are the trends that you're seeing in the aquaculture industry? It's so fascinating what comes up from this question, because at the end of my season one, I'm actually going to summarize all of the trends in the aquaculture that all my guests mentioned. And so I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's exciting trends that are happening. What I'm seeing is just increased collaborations. You know, one example is First Nations participation in the sector. As rights holders and guardians of the ocean, more and more First Nations are seizing this opportunity to develop economic opportunities in aquaculture and to partner with companies. This is real and meaningful growth on how the there's real and meaningful growth on how the industry has been working with First Nations. When I started 20 years ago, one of my jobs was to do outreach to First Nations communities, and that was one person within a company. And now we see whole dedicated departments with First Nations individuals holding real key uh, positions within these companies. And there's real commitment to UNDRIP and honoring the rights of Indigenous people. And it, the industry is moving towards more of an ecosystem-based management. And the collaboration with First Nations is so important in that because of the holistic nature of First Nations and the traditional knowledge that they can bring to the table that's so valued by the industry. But then the industry holds the expertise in how to grow and how to farm fish. And there's more and more interest among First Nations people to do enhancement activities in wild stocks. And so the knowledge that the industry has to assist in that area, I just see collaboration is just going to continue in more and more of these partnerships and relationships. And as we saw with the Blue Economy Strategy by the Fisheries Council of Canada and the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance, we're seeing increased collaboration between the commercial and farm sector. I'm excited about that. I mean, my personal goal is to not discern between the sectors, but just create Canadian seafood. So I see that we're on that trajectory, and I'm really excited about that trend. I think another trend we're seeing is innovation. I mean, the industry 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, has changed so much in the last 10 years. It's incredible. And you hear a lot about adaptive management in aquaculture, and you adapt to changing environments and changing regulatory and the need for innovation. And I participated 
in a DFO working group on emerging technologies in the finfish sector a couple of years ago. And we're already seeing some of those new technologies in the water today being trialed. And this year recently, I participated in the BC Aquaculture Innovation Awards. And that was phenomenal. I mean, so many innovators with brilliant minds coming up with some of these fantastic ideas for how to improve the quality of your shellfish or how to enhance competitiveness in finfish or plastic alternatives using kelp, you know, with the right federal support for this industry into innovation and investment into innovation. I can't wait to see what this industry looks like in 10 years from now. We're really, that's like one of the most exciting trends for me. And we're seeing a shift in consumer trends. This was happening pre-COVID, my company owns St. Jean Smokehouse and Canneries, so we're shelf-stable seafood producers. We do a lot of market research and invested heavily in it during COVID because we were seeing some of these trends before COVID and then COVID just kind of accelerated a lot of what we were seeing from the consumers. People started cooking more at home. People are very conscious now of what they are buying and consumers want healthy food. I mean, we spent the last year and a half talking about sickness and they want healthy food, low ingredient, healthy food. They want food sourced from Canada. Canada is a trusted food source. Domestically, people are looking at it from a food security, but also a buy local initiative. They want easy to prepare food. There's some consumer work that needs to happen, understanding how easy it is to prepare seafood. I mean, you can put a fillet of fish in the oven with like lemon and salt and it's done in 20 minutes. You can't get faster, more nutritious. And shellfish, literally put it in the pot with a drop of water. And in five minutes, you have a delicious, healthy meal. So we fit the bill on that. People want food with a low carbon footprint. We know we have a low carbon footprint. They want sustainable food. They want food they can access through e-commerce. And we're seeing a big trend in how we actually even sell the fish and getting it delivery to the door. And, and shelf-stable food or frozen food. People want, you know, that pandemic effect where we saw empty shelves still resonates today that people want to have that security of holding the, you know, healthy food for their families and having access to it. And right now, there's opportunity for growth with domestic consumers. The Canadian Food Guy says we should be eating one to two meals of seafood a week. We don't do that, Right. So there's so much opportunity for growth there with some consumer research and, cons well, a consumer outreach on how easy, healthy, low carbon that we tick all these boxes that where consumers are shifting and how they buy their food, seafood is a fit for that. So I really see as we do that research, the trend is going to continue for an increased demand. Wow, you're just a wealth of knowledge. I wish that my podcast is an hour, but that means I may have to talk to you again because I love hearing everything that, the, that you're saying and sharing here. Thanks, Jennifer. I really appreciate your time. My biggest takeaway from this session is, wow, there's so much takeaways that I got from everything that you've said, but really mostly on how we can create a growth plan for the industry so that there's a proper support system because I think that is a really imperative to where the Canadian aquaculture industry should be headed. And the way that you mentioned about increased collaboration, as I mentioned, my second pillar is partnership. And that is really what this is all about. I mean, if we can be like one voice for the aquaculture industry. And I absolutely agree with you. It's not just farm or wild. It's both. Both are important in the economy. And so this increased collaboration will be like a ongoing trend in the next 10 years as well, just to make it stronger. And 
my last takeaway was when you mentioned about the blue economy strategy. I actually read the paper. It was amazing what you guys did to that and the videos that you have online. It's amazing. I'm going to put a link as well from the, mm-hmm. from the recording. Well, Remember, you help build the home in the Philippines every time you listen to the podcast via the B1G1 initiative. Share the podcast to your friends and family who you think may benefit. Thank you again, Jennifer. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. My favorite topic. (laughs) (laughs) Bye for now. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.